Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And welcome back to the Five Spot, a new episode of recapping the games that happened either this week, this past weekend, the Monday night football game versus the Dallas Cowboys and the Los Angeles Chargers. We also sit down with head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs, Andy Reid, a guy that I know very well. And the reason he's a Hall of Fame coach is because of my success. But we'll dig deep into a lot of different things throughout the whole series. But more importantly, let's start with this Monday night football game, uh, the Dallas Cowboys and the Los Angeles Chargers. A lot of explosive plays in this game. This was a kind of revenge game for Dallas, by the way, that they played against San Francisco. Uh, I think Dak Prescott was able to show that he's the leader of this football team, that he can play at a tier one type of level uh, at the quarterback position defensively. Uh, I've seen them doing some really good things in Dallas. But more importantly, this was more of a game for Mike McCarthy versus his former assistant coach. Um, that's now with the Chargers. The battle between who can run offense and who can end up winning the game at the end. Armando, when you watched this game Monday night, what was the what was the thing that stuck out in your mind uh, when we got toward that second half where things got a little tight? Well, first of all, I want to congratulate you for making Andy Reid a great coach. Just, uh, I mean, just we all know that he was just merely <laughs> another quarterback coach before you got your hands on him, developed him, turned him into who he is today. So, congratulations for that. I have thank failed you so to, much. Thank you. Yeah, I, I have failed to mention that previously. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> I wonder why. Uh, unfortunately. <laughs> Unfortunately for the kids in Los Angeles, Justin Herbert has not been able to develop your favorite head coach, Brandon Staley, in, into a, a, a prodigious and proficient NFL head coach. He is, however, very good at spinning. And Donovan, after his team lost yesterday, and now they're two and three, Right. Um, he basically <laughs> he basically explained the game as um, these were two teams, two high level teams. His quote quote air quotes. Yeah. Uh, that played really really good. Really really good. That's going to help you two win games in the NFL. Two high level teams that are really really good. Um, and so they're two and three, right? They're, they're not really, uh, it's just spin with this guy one week after another on spin. Oddly enough, yesterday, I actually agreed with him. There was a fourth and one and he kicked the field goal. He didn't do stupid stuff. I actually agreed with the guy and I would have agreed with him, honestly, if he had gone for it, because 
he wasn't on his own 24 yard line right like earlier this season <laughs> he was he was on you know on the plus 20 uh so look Brandon Staley defend him go go ahead uh okay I'll defend him I'll give him a little bit of love I thought the beard game was was tight um I I, <laughs> I can see I can see where this season already is leading him to growing his beard now. Uh, he got it cleaned up and edged up the right way. Uh, he did make some good decisions. I thought in that fourth down when they did go for it uh, in the red zone, which led to a touchdown, I thought that was a smart decision. I thought they had momentum, uh, and he took full advantage of it by getting Justin Herbert on the outside. Uh, the thing that sticks out to me more in this particular game is I'll go to the Dallas side. They just can't run the football. And I, I don't. I think when we got into this offseason and everyone was talking about Tony Pollard being, uh, he, he can be a feature back, I didn't believe that. I thought he was more of an explosive back that you can bring in on second, third down, run some screens, get him in one-on-ones versus linebackers and safeties. But to be able to carry the ball possibly 20 to 25 times a game, that's just not him. And so when I watched this run game, it's non-existent to the point where your play-action game is irrelevant. And so now we're just getting back to the drop-back game. And I thought Dak Prescott handled it very well all, all game by featuring who we all expected, C.D. Lamb, and then Cooks. Uh, two guys that, number one is C.D. Lamb being your number one receiver. Number two, you brought Cooks in to stretch the field this offseason, and he's become a reliable source for Dak Prescott. Now, defensively, against San Francisco, they were non-existent. Um, I mean, we had Michael Parsons on the same side as Trent Williams, and that that part just became erased by Trent Williams. Now they put him on the opposite side in the San Diego, oh, excuse me, the Los Angeles Chargers game, and he doesn't get a big play until they really need it, and that was in that fourth quarter. So I look at it in a sense for Gus Bradley and that defense. Uh, his main guys that, that we expected on defense to step up being Michael Parsons and Gilmore, and they did that to secure the win. So my problem with the Dallas Cowboys, and, uh, you know, it's it's not to make an excuse for Dak Prescott, but the way I see it, CeeDee Lamb is a good wide receiver, but I don't think he's a number one NFL wide receiver at this point. Tony Pollard is a good running back, but I don't think he's a number one NFL running back at no. this point. Jake Ferguson, I I guess he's okay at tight end. But he's I not a number two. Think, he's he's a number two B. Right. So what do you have? You have the quarterback who gets it all on his shoulders, Dak Prescott. Right. Being asked to make plays with guys who, in my estimation, are not number one playmakers. Um, that's hard. And you know where that kind of shows up the most? In the red zone. Because that's where you got to – guys got to win. They just yeah. – you got to win because the defense is not afraid of what's going to happen behind them. So you got to win. And not just – you got to win fast. Right. You, right. you have to def- – it's not defeat the opponent. It's eviscerate the opponent because there's no time otherwise. And these guys, I don't believe that they are eviscerate the opponent kind of guys. 
uh, you know, at all. And so that's what I think is the, the Cowboys problem. It didn't show up big time this game, but it is it who has. they are. It has. It has over, over the last couple of weeks, and that's why they've been having struggles in the red zone is because they can't – first of all, they can't pick up three yards on a run. They can't pick up three more yards on, on second down. So now you find yourself closer to the to the end zone, but they decide to pass the ball, and no one is really clearly getting open consistently. Now, he's missed some throws. Don't get me wrong. He's missed some throws in the Arizona game. Uh, he missed some throws early on, I think, in that Giants game. Um, and, and so we can pinpoint what Dak Prescott has been missing and what he's been failing at. But in actuality, they haven't had great play calling in the red zone. And that's why they have been, they've been lacking success. And so moving over to the, the Chargers, I mean, now you start to look at the way their offense is flowing, and they do have number one receivers. I mean, Allen is is a number one receiver. They're missing Mike Williams, who's out with injury. Uh, I'm thinking with a torn ACL, he's out for the year. Uh, but Palmer's good. Their tight end Everett's good. Um, Austin Eckler is an explosive back that I think they're going to have issues with him this offseason because they have to pay Austin Eckler by the way that he's been explosive in this offense. But they can't seem to close either. And so is it more of... Kellen Moore now bringing that Dallas mystique over to the Chargers because you can put up great numbers between the tens, but if you can't close games at the end, then you're going to find yourself pretty much having stats like Dak Prescott had last year, and then now we'll be talking about Justin Herbert turning the football over or not being able to close at the end. Yeah, they're beat up up front, and so I see a lot of uh, Herbert – having to he he takes the football which is always out of the shotgun because he's got a bad finger he can't be under center because he's right. got a bad finger i would show you the finger that is bad but <laughs> but i think it's yeah it i think we'll taken, pass on that one yeah we'll it pass would be on that taken one. wrong <laughs> if the people watching if i gave you the finger that was bad for <laughs> for justin herbert the, the point being, he's always running for his life, and he's always throwing on the run, it seems like. Right. And he's not that accurate throwing on the run. I mean, right. he's he's very accurate, you know, when in, he's in the in, pocket. Right, exactly. Or sometimes when he's he, he rolls out, stops, collects, and then throws, right? Right. Uh, but – that's not, I guess, real world. You're probably thinking, I played the game, you stupid ass. Uh, that's not how it is. Hey, PlayStation <laughs> makes everybody a coach. <laughs> okay, fair. Uh, fair. Okay. Uh, you, you made Andy Reid a great coach. PlayStation made me a great coach. What can I tell you? <laughs> hey. All right, all right, let's let's go ahead and move on to another note. We'll talk about coaches and their antics. How about the Philadelphia Eagles and the Jets? Now, there's no more undefeated teams in the NFL. Um, the Philadelphia Eagles, which I think everyone in America thought that they would just kind of pounce all over uh, the New York Jets. And then the same goes for San Francisco 
uh, out with Cleveland, which Cleveland's defense, I think, is underrated. One of the best defenses uh, in the NFL. So that was going to be a challenge because it was more of the two top defenses, I thought, versus an explosive offense, in a sense, from San Francisco, but still with a semi-unproven quarterback in Purdy to now bringing your third quarterback in for Cleveland uh, to win that game. But let's let's move back into New York uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles. When I look at that particular game, to me, offensively, Philadelphia looked way out of sync. They threw the ball 40-plus 40, 40 times in that game, didn't run the football um, more than 20 times. Um, DeAndre Swift didn't get enough carries. I thought they went in the pass mode versus another top defense in the Jets that was missing Sauce Gardner and a, a few other guys on defense. But I look at Philadelphia and I felt it was a trap game, but I never mentioned it on our last show because I felt like it was one of those games where they ride down to New York on the bus, they overlook the Jets a little bit. And then Robert Sala in his comments just really just tells you the confidence he has on one side of the ball and not on the other. When he makes the comment about they've embarrassed some of the top and pretty much elite quarterbacks that they've competed against in the Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, uh, also, you know, obviously what we've seen in Buffalo with, with, with their quarterback, you know, and then the list goes on. But then it's like more about their defense and they lose the game than talking about your quarterback. Because really, to be honest, their quarterback's playing pretty well, if you ask me. Okay. So the embarrassed, we've embarrassed these guys' comments. Right. I can see, I can see the coach coming off the field, it, you know, after this huge, huge upset victory at home and feeling himself and the adrenaline is still pumping. And then he says something that, by the way, this morning he walked back. Yeah. So, yeah. Better. So he walked it back. And and the reason he walked it back is because it it's not true, right? That so let's take that for a minute. Number one, uh, they played Russell Wilson. The Jets did. Did they embarrass him? No, no. Russell Wilson had a hundred and three point seven quarterback rating in the game. Threw two touchdown passes, no interceptions. They played Mac Jones, uh, and you know Mac Jones has had a hard tough, bad season, but did did the Jets embarrass him? No. He threw a touchdown. His rating was at 86, I think. Um, Dak Prescott, they played him. Did they embarrass him? No. Dak Prescott threw two touchdowns. His rating was 112 for the game. My point to you is he was feeling himself, and he needs to stop feeling himself in public. Let's let's just – Say that right right here That's now. That's locker room talk. Yeah, right. Uh, on the other hand, if you're thinking that your defense embarrassed the quarterbacks, and they did embarrass some, including Jalen Hurts, including Josh Allen, uh, right. you know, including Patrick Mahomes, really, then what is your quarterback? Ha- what's have been happening to him? Exactly. Because. I mean, against Dallas, where you think you embarrassed Dak, he had a quarterback rating of 38. 
<laughs> so you tell me who was embarrassed that day. Uh, you know, he's had some good games. He played well against the Chiefs. He played well enough against the Eagles. But if you're going to say those things, uh, it, they're going to balance out because people will turn your words, people, those dang reporters <laughs> will turn your words towards your team. And they better hold up or you're, or you're going to end up like today, walking it back on national television. Well, the tough part, again, I think that's conversation that you have in the locker room when you're talking amongst your team. That's not something that you bring out to the media, which now becomes public. Uh, I thought he was definitely feeling himself. I thought defensively, they didn't do anything spectacular. I thought Philadelphia, one, did not run the football. Jalen Hurts started to get a little happy feet in the pocket, which that's easy to clean up. Uh, also, I felt like he was trying to force the ball in situations where he had some other guys open. Uh, and then this is the thing that I brought up um, just recently talking to uh, some of the local local radio stations and also radio stations in Philly. I thought after the the kind of spat on the sideline with A.J. Brown, Nick Sirianni, and, and then Jalen got involved a little bit complaining about not getting the ball and being involved, I thought ever since then it's become more trying to force feed A.J. Brown, and not reading over the defense, spreading the ball around. Devontae Smith hasn't been involved as much as he was before. Um, they started kind of fading away a little bit more of the run game. You know, where DeAndre Swift would get 15 carries. Uh, Gainwell would get maybe 10 carries. Uh, and then, obviously, Jalen Hurts would, would probably get about eight or nine. But I just thought they got away from – the downhill running attack with DeAndre Swift was made him successful. The utilizing the tight ends in the middle of the football field and being able to allow your quarterback to read over the coverage because in that Jets game, he missed out on a lot of checkdowns. There were a lot of guys underneath coverage that was wide open where he decided to force feed the ball. And so I think going forward, that's something that's got to be a point of emphasis uh, for their their coaching staff as well as for Jalen Hurts in order for them to turn this passing game around. So if let's let's play this out and use some critical thinking here. If this is true and it absolutely looks like it is, the whole AJ Brown feed me the ball or I'll make a, a scene on the sideline. Okay, we're gonna do just that type of thing. Number one, that makes AJ Brown a bad teammate in my opinion, because now you've caused a problem that wasn't there before for, for the offense. Right. For the, because you want your individual stuff, you've caused an issue for the offense. That's number one. Number two, it, it looks, it shines a bad light on, on Jalen and Sirianni because it's, and the offensive coordinator, because at some point someone should have sat down AJ Brown and said, my brother, we love you. You are a stud, and you are going to get yours. You will not be hungry at the end of this year. You will be fed, but not at the expense of the greater good, not at the expense of the offense scoring points, which is more important than you getting yours. Well, I think it. it yes, um, it can become. It can become toxic. Um, if it if it carries over where things like this now trickle into each and every game over the next four to five weeks, 
But I think for more for Jalen, he's going to have to just get back to reading over coverage and spreading the ball around. And, you know, if, if A.J. Brown has five catches and Devontae has four or five catches and, uh, you know, their tight ends and Dallas Goddard gets gets four catches and DeAndre Swift has 18 carries and they run 70 plays and put up 480 yards in the game and D, and he happens to be upset about that, well, as a quarterback, it's like, look, we're trying to win ball games. I'm not here to kind of pass stats and then all of a sudden we're losing games because I'm trying to force feed you the ball. And as a quarterback, I mean, I've been in that situation. You gotta, you gotta do get back to what you need to do in order to win. Yes, everybody on the outside would say they need to for, they need to feed him the ball more, get him more involved. Yeah, but if every everyone's spread, you're spreading the ball and everyone's being effective and, and helping you get positive yards, which will lead to touchdowns. That's what it's about. That's what this game is about. And so I, I think for this football team, yes, A.J. Brown is a major part of it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that they don't need to throw him the ball. They need to get him the ball, absolutely. Um, but they also need to utilize their other weapons and get them involved to help them win games as well. The, the most shocking thing about that, that Jets victory was they won the game with four of their top six corners Yes. Out. Yeah. And including their two starting corners. Right. Out. And still they had three interceptions of, of Jalen Hurts. That to me was shocking. Well, let's let's move over to, to Cleveland because it was almost the same situation. Because although they had you know rainy conditions, uh it was one in which the defense kind of dictated what was what was going to happen with San Francisco. And then they end up losing McCaffrey, which scored a touchdown. I think his streak continues on uh, as far as touchdowns that he he's played 15 straight touchdowns. It was 15 straight games with a touchdown, I believe. Uh, they lose uh, Debo uh, Samuels. And we can go into his whole, you know, kind of spat that happened before the game with, with Cleveland until Trent Williams came in and, and Debo'd the whole defense, the secondary uh, that started with Debo Samuels. But I just think this was a game in which I think everyone in the world was waiting to see Brock Purdy play. Now, Brock Purdy has been playing at a, a, an elite level. He's been MVP candidate, and rightfully so. He's He's been playing at that, that top-tier level, which his weapons on the outside, as well as McCaffrey, has been very effective so far leading up into this, this particular point. But I, I pose a question for you, Armando. If Deshaun Watson played in that game, would that game would have been different in your eyes, meaning Cleveland controlling the ball and controlling the clock and being more of a threat on the passing game than they did this, this past weekend? I think it could go either direction because if Deshaun Watson is in that game, he, he wants to throw the ball and they want to throw the ball. Right. And maybe it goes well because Deshaun Watson is good. Yeah. And maybe it doesn't because Deshaun Watson has had time. A lot of them, right? In Cleveland yeah. where he hasn't been good. And right. now you're giving the other team more opportunities. But you said something about Brock Purdy that is, is interesting to me. So you said he's been playing elite. And you're right. He's been playing elite. When everything is going his way. Oh, everybody healthy and everyone there. Correct. Yeah. This game, McCaffrey goes down. 
Debo goes out for for a while, and yeah. all of a sudden, the guy who's been playing elite didn't look elite anymore. And to me, an elite quarterback lifts the people around him, not the other way around. He Brock Purdy has been lifted by the people around him. They admit this. He admits this. Right. Uh, but if it doesn't make Brock Purdy a bad quarterback, right? But it makes him not elite when he can't take a team that is missing some of its pieces and grant you some of its best pieces and still perform and still win the game. And he would say, well, you know, we didn't win the game because we missed a 41-yard field goal at the end. I don't care. I look at the results and I'm saying you didn't win the game and you scored way below your average uh for the season and and so at some point it's not about you know Brock Purdy benefiting from all these guys it's about Brock Purdy benefiting the guys that are on the field for me well you're absolutely right and remember I, I said he was playing at an elite level I never said he was elite uh, uh I never said he was the top one Top tier type of quarterback, um, and, and and so it's not his fault. He's surrounded by great talent. Um, I think Ayuk has been playing playing at at a, a great level for them. Uh, he's shockingly over the last year and a half elevated his game. We know about Kittle's. We know about Samuels. We know about McCaffrey. Uh, and when you lose Samuels and McCaffrey, yes, you still have Kittle's and you still have Ayuk. And so that's more on Kyle Shanahan of trying to put you know, those guys in situations to be effective for him in that in that passing game. But there are a lot of balls that were behind, uh, a lot of balls that were short. Uh, and we can say the weather conditions of, of what it was at this particular point, you know, because he's going to have to play again on the East Coast. He's going to have to play in the Midwest. He's, he's going to have to play in those games where weather conditions are going to be bad. So we'll see going forward what actually transpires from that particular deal. But let's let's stick more into the AFC um, and the debacle to me in Buffalo, the Giants just seem to have the black cat running around the sideline. They just can't seem to get anything going. And Tyrod Taylor, to be honest with you, I thought he played he played well. He managed the game. I thought he got the ball out to his receivers. Waller got more involved. Uh, you start to see their wide receivers step up. Hyatt stepped up. Uh, I thought Saquon Barkley looked great coming off of an ankle injury. Driving the ball down the field consistently against Buffalo. But I thought that halftime call, but right before halftime, that was more on Tyrod Taylor of checking to that because he won, He felt like they had a running lane for Saquon Barkley. Do you think that cost him the game? Or was it more toward the end that the referees blew it at the end? So I think the Giants outplayed the Bills. And I think the Giants outcoached the Bills. But the Bills had their starting quarterback in the game. And when things went terrible, um, you know, he made plays. He made uh, two plays in that game. Exactly. And the Giants had their backup quarterback in the game. And grant you, a very experienced backup quarterback. But he made a terrible mistake just before halftime, uh, a mental mistake, apparently, right? right. Um, 
And at the end of the game, he couldn't make the play to seal a victory. So there's that. But I come out of that feeling not great about the Bills because they got outcoached and they got outplayed by a one and five team. And their offense looks wrong. Their offense looks like it's drawn in the dirt. It doesn't, the stuff we, we have doesn't work. And so when things get, you know, ugly, let's let Josh Allen run around and figure something out and he'll make a, a pass that no other human on earth can make. And we'll try to pull it out that way. And that doesn't work, especially not in the postseason. It doesn't work. And so uh, this drawn in the it lacks precision. It yeah. lacks uh, consistency, obviously. Um, Josh, the, the play, hey, Josh to Stefan Diggs on two. <laughs> that, Pretty much. that play doesn't always work. Uh, Pretty much. So it, it bothers me about the Bills a little bit. The Giants, that was a great coaching job, I thought, by, yeah. by them, by Wink Martindale on defense. I, I thought that was great by Brian Dayball on offense. I thought that was good. Um, you know, obviously they don't reap the benefits, but but they get the big Armando star. <laughs> well, I mean, even even with that, and I'm I'm gonna give him a little bit of credit too because it's been easy to to talk bad about what what's been going on over there. I thought again, Saquon Barkley looked good coming off the ankle injury. I thought Waller. Um, stepped up and became the guy that we all seen in in, in Las Vegas uh, to be able to be a staple in this offense at the tight end position. I thought Hyatt, a rookie from Tennessee, stepped his game up. Uh, I've seen a lot of pieces that we didn't see early in the season because everyone talked, well, they don't have any weapons, they have no receivers. But I've seen receivers getting open. I've seen their, their slot receiver, I think it's, uh, number 17, I can't think of his name right now, but he was getting open, getting first downs in the slot. So I've seen, I seen valuable pieces that Daniel Jones can take advantage of. And to be honest, I, I hate this term, but people use it. When you're hurt, you get a chance to watch from the sideline of the guys that you actually are working with, and you get a chance to see their strengths. I don't believe in that, but I thought that that was something that Daniel Jones could see himself from the sideline. These guys getting open and Tyrod feeding the ball to them and them making plays for their football team. So I just think for the Giants, it's something positive going forward. I know you don't want to hear that after year one and five, but there is something positive. But for Buffalo, I think more of the piece of losing Leslie Frazier as their defensive coordinator, Sean McDermott calling plays on defense, is starting to hurt them a little bit. Not that Sean can't call plays because he did in Carolina. It's the reason he got the head coaching job with Buffalo. But I think losing Leslie Frazier and his identity with that defense has started to hurt them a little bit. And now offensively, they're asked to do a lot more. It's weird that Leslie Frazier hasn't, wasn't hired. As uh, a head coach? Well, as, even as a defensive coordinator by someone else. Uh, there's well, a lot I of bad he defense. Stepped away. Didn't he step away himself? He stepped down. For whatever reasons. Yeah, he stepped away. Wink, <laughs> wink. 
we're not firing you. You can step away kind of thing. Do you agree with that? Yeah, you still be under contract. Okay. That's the kind of step away I think it was because gotcha. – yeah, yeah, I think that was one of those. But that dude, that dude can coach. He can. Um, I had him. I had him in Minnesota as a head coach. He's more of a coordinator than a head coach. And, and I've known I've known Leslie since I was a rookie. He was with me at Philadelphia. Uh, smart guy, played the game, understands it from uh, the safety position and also from a coaching standpoint. So uh, major respect for Leslie. But I think they definitely are missing Leslie. Uh, but let's move on to uh, staying in the AFC. And we got a great interview coming up with, with a guy that I know very well. Uh, a lot of us called him Santa Claus at times with the big mustache. Uh, big Red, uh, head coach of Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, I sat down with him and got a chance to get a little deeper in the details with a lot of different things that are going on in Kansas City. Joined by a close friend and mentor, and he's the second coach to come on to the show because he was too big time to be the first. Uh, Andy Reid is joining us with starting a season out very hot, I should say, after the first game. Coach, what, what has been different this season uh, with your quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, knowing he's, he's now labeled as a veteran? Yeah, no, he is a veteran. He, uh, um, it's his, what, his sixth year uh, yeah. starting here and, and you can you can tell he he's got he's got a bunch of young receivers working with those guys. He's really taking them under under his wing, and um, and that's that's new for him. I mean, that's yeah. a that's a new experience for him. And I like the way he's handling it. He spends time during practice during special teams. If the guys aren't on that particular special teams, they go over with him and work on things, and he talks to them constantly. So. Uh, that's probably the biggest thing I'd tell you. Speaking of the wide receivers, you look at Tony. Uh, you have a lot of young guys, a lot of a lot of newer guys to the system. Uh, I remember when we first kind of got going, and uh, we all were young at that particular time and didn't really have many vets that have been in that offense. But knowing you have a secured offensive line, your running game uh, has been effective over the last season and two. Just what has been different from this wide receiver position? Do you have a guy that can step up and be the guy? Yeah, I I think we got a couple of them. Uh, Rasheed Rice is doing a nice job. Um, Kadarius Tony, I mean, as familiar as his name is, really uh, hasn't made it through necessarily a season yet right. since he's been in, and he's only been in a couple of years. So um, th that's a uh, that's a positive that he's he's working so hard and doing the things he's doing. So um, and then uh, you know you've got Ross who also is. A, a young guy from right. Clemson and it came out when we got him, he needed surgery on his foot. So um, he had that and every week he's getting better. And he, you know, he's a big kid. He's like six, four, he's right. a huge kid. Um, and, and so they blend in with Watson and, um, you know, Kaderi, uh, um MVS. I mean, yep. you know, they, they, they blend in with those two guys. And then, um, yeah, Sky is another one that I like what, Sky. He's been, yeah, Sky's been in one year, so this is right. uh his second year here and he's getting better. So, you know, that that whole that whole young group is um I, I like the way they're improving. 
Tell me about your defense. Obviously, when you get the the heavy hitter back in the in the middle and Jones and then Steve Spagnuolo dialing up a lot of blitzes and playing man on the outside. What has been different about this defense now? Because uh, I've seen some a lot of changes, obviously with Clark on and 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 the list over the last couple of years, but just have been a staple of this football team that I think is overlooked. Yeah, Don. I mean, Spags does a great job, as you mm-hmm. know. And then uh, you look at. Uh, our secondary, that's probably where I'd start uh, with it. Those were like our receivers this year. That's what they were last year, young right. guys. <clears throat> and they've all uh, they've all played together now and have worked their game and kind of been through a year <clears throat> of things of a kind of an up and down year. Mm-hmm. So um, you can t- you can tell during training camp that the zones are all tighter. Uh, the man coverage is tighter. Right. Um, and and then you had the pressure that we're able to generate either through our front four or Spags adding an extra guy or two. Um, that even makes it uh, better for them on the back end. So it's, you know, it's worked out well. And then, I, you know, our linebackers don't get quite as much credit right. uh, for what they do as the rest of the group. But they're, uh, that's really a good group. Maybe one of the better groups I've been around. Yeah. So, I mean, I have to ask the question, which is annoying to me, but have you become a Swifty? <laughs> you know what? Uh, like you, I mean, I knew her from Philadelphia, you know, I yeah. think <laughs> her dad was a big NFL fan. So I had met her when she was real young and, and, uh, and her dad. And so, you know, I joked about setting Kelsey up, but I mean, you know, I'm just saying, you know, you know <laughs> See, that's that's something people don't know that you know her dad. Yeah, right. she sitting in the box, she looks confused of what's going on, but she cheers with the rest of uh, of all yeah. the family members. Yeah, she's a good girl, man. She's she's into it, and that's uh, we're glad she's here. Good, good, good. Just, I mean, just overall in where Kansas City is right now. Obviously, with baseball had their ups and downs. Uh, you guys have carried the load over the last five years or so. Just tell us a little bit about the fan base out there in Kansas city. Yeah. Well, well, you and I played here before. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, uh, they're, they're crazy. It's loud. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a uh, older stadium. Uh, but, uh, the acoustics are like crazy. The fans are right on top. Of you. Absolutely. And, and things get tremendously loud. So I, I love it. I mean, I love the fan base. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably as close to college as you're going to find. Um, just, uh, the tailgating, these guys, <laughs> they get here at four in the morning and mm-hmm. line up at the gate and start doing, I guess, breakfast dogs or something, but they start early man, and get those barbecues going, throw them in the back of their pickup trucks and drive in, you know, a few hours before the game. So it's, uh, it's quite an experience here. Now, speaking of the, the cookouts, the barbecue, uh, when I came out there to see you, uh, I called the game out there. Jack stacks is still the hot spot. Or is there a new one that I need to look for? Yeah, there, listen, I haven't found one I haven't liked. <laughs> They've all, <laughs> that's a problem. You know, that's a problem. Um, they've all kind of got their specialty. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they've all got something special about them. And, and so uh, you can try, you can try any of them. I could keep you busy for a long time. <laughs> huh? uh, you know, I love my food just like you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> So for this week, obviously, you guys played on, on uh, Thursday night and Travis was Saturday night live in it and at the Eagles game. 
what are we what should we expect this weekend from you guys yeah well we've got we've got the chargers coming that's always a knockdown right. drag out so they you know they're a good football team fully loaded offensively and defensively they're got a good coaching staff they do a good job this is a good organization so we'll uh we'll, you know we'll have to play our, our best against them and so that's what we'll do this week we'll just start working on that and making sure we've got a good game plan make sure that uh you know we're healthy and ready to go justin herbert uh this is obviously after getting his new contract but he's kind of been in that top five upper tier of quarterbacks what have you seen in his progression so far uh, through his career? Yeah, well, listen, I thought he was real good at Oregon, and and um, and he's done the same thing here. So in the NFL, and he he he's a smart, real smart kid, and he's got good size, speed, accuracy. Um, looks like he loves to play the game. So um, he's got the respect of the players, uh, which is which is good too, and. Um, I just I, listen. I just think he all around. He's a he's a good football player. Yeah. Last question, Coach. You look <clears> lean. <throat> what, what's going on out there in Kansas City? Am I, are you changing up on me? You trying to do some modeling? What, what's going well, on? Yeah, I've been doing some vegan barbecue. You know. <laughs> <laughs> now, what what would that entail, Coach, for the listeners, all our <clears throat> listeners and our viewers? Yeah. So, like tofu with uh, you know little. Barbecue sauce on it. <laughs> now you know that's a lie. So I mean, but yeah, I still want to get into heaven. I, I can't, can't even imagine lies. the tofu and the barbecue sauce. <laughs> 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 well, coach, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Please tell the family I love them, man. I miss I everybody. Uh, we'll get Likewise, chance to see man. you guys down the road. Love how you run things. Best of luck throughout the rest of the year, and appreciate you joining us here at the Five Spot. All right. Love you, big man. I want to thank Coach Andy Reid for joining us here at the five spot. I told him he was the second coach to come on because he became too big time. And we end up having to get Nick Sirianni, uh, who was undefeated at that particular time before the Jets game. But again, to recap everything that we talked about, make sure that you sit down and watch the five spot here on YouTube. We're streaming live. Check us out again Friday here at the five spot.